34. Uh, I will warn you that um, as we go through this, I'll just be asking a couple of questions, and really each section I'll just be asking you uh, your response, kind of what you think is going on in the story. So just be thinking of that. Uh, Be thinking with, um, again, eyes that see, ears that hear, what Jesus is conveying here. We're going to be continuing in Mark's sampling of Jesus' teaching through parables. He makes it very clear a couple times that that Jesus spoke in many parables. Um, Mark kind of puts together a collection here, but certainly not exhaustive. Uh, These are stories and illustrations of what what I referred to last week as, as heavenly truths that Jesus conveys and communicates through really very humble, uh, I, I know some of the commentators read, I read even said homely, kind of humble, simple, everyday, earthy examples and pictures. Uh, it's an invitation to hear, it's an invitation to see, it's an invitation to receive what God is doing through the coming of Jesus. Most are apt to miss that. Uh, most are apt to miss what God is doing, especially because it's so often contrary, maybe quite, you could say quietly contrary to our expectations. Uh, we've considered, we considered last week that parables by nature both reveal and hide what Jesus is conveying about the kingdom of God depending on the spiritual receptivity of a person's heart. So to this point, Jesus told the parable that we went over last week of the farmer and the seeds and the soils. The farmer is Jesus, and in turn becomes all those who carry the message, his disciples who will carry the message beyond him. They sow the seed of God's word, the the kingdom rule of God that is manifested in the presence and person of Jesus Christ into various soils, the the wide-ranging conditions of the heart that the message falls upon. So last week we saw that some hearts are hard, like a hard path that the seed doesn't even penetrate. Satan can easily come up and scoff up that word. Some some hearts are shallow. They, they, They seem to quickly receive and respond to the message, but only just as quickly to give up on it as things get difficult. And some are cluttered with weeds, with worry, with uh, wealth, with lust, with busyness that that choke out the seed, rendering it fruitless. It's the heart that's soft. It's the heart that's receptive, that that hears and receives the word and produces what Jesus says a crop. And a crop that would have been a bumper crop, even though each crop and each life will vary. It's a life that surrenders to the obedience and, and inobedience to Jesus. A, a heart that I, I think of, a heart that good soil is plowed over. A heart that God will plow over and be receptive to the teaching and example of Jesus Christ. Um, it's this good soil in which the grace of God, the free gift of His salvation, His salvation is free. Amen? Amen? His salvation is free. He he offers it as a gift, right? We need to respond to it, 
But it's the good soil in which the free gift of salvation, according to God's grace, not our own good works, takes root and grows. There's a wonderful quote um, by Charles Hodge. He is long since dead. He's, uh, Daniel, he's a good Presbyterian. You'd appreciate that. So, Charles Hodge, a Christian is one who recognizes Jesus as the Christ. So the Christ is the Greek for Messiah, which means the, the anointed one sent by God. Recognizes Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and as God manifested in the flesh. Right? That Jesus is God who has put on flesh. Loving us and dying for our redemption, our sins are paid for 100% on the cross, and who is so affected, right? So this who is the Christian who recognizes all these things, who is so affected by a sense of the, of the love of this incarnate God, this God that's put on flesh, that's what that means, as to be constrained to make the will of Christ the rule of his obedience and the glory of Christ the great end for which he lives. So that's... that's chalk full right there. <laughs> a Christian is one who recognized Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, as God manifested in the flesh, loving us and dying for our redemption, and who is so affected by a sense of the love of this incarnate God as to be constrained to make the will of Christ the rule of his obedience and the glory of Christ the great end for which he lives. That is our response to the free gift of salvation. That's the good soil that this seed would penetrate and grow. This week we're going to examine three very concise parables. Some say four. Uh, we'll, we'll say three. Um, the first is about a lamp. The second is about a farm, again, about a farmer and his growing seed. And the third is about a particular type of seed, a mustard seed. And each parable conveys something about the character of God's kingdom. So let's start. We're going to read verses 21 through 25 of Mark chapter 4. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, you put it on its stand. Don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, some people see this as a little, uh, another kind of the fourth, why they would say there's four parables here, this measuring cup. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But actually, as we'll see, it's a, a common law that we all experience. So sometimes you, Jesus uses similar pictures in different settings to convey slightly different points. And this is why we actually have to be careful, especially if you've been in God's Word for a long time, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, 
That you, you don't kind of have this knee-jerk reaction that says, well, I know what Jesus is saying here because I've heard this before, and then you kind of check out. Because what we really need to do is first consider what here really is, and that's always the context of which Jesus, in which Jesus is speaking. So here we should likely understand that Jesus is still referring to the nature of his communicating the kingdom of God through parables. It may very well be that the disciples had some of the same questions that we have. Because just prior, he's, he's explaining to them the parable of the farmer and the seeds and the soils, explaining to them some of the nature of the parables, explaining how, how they both reveal and hide. And, and you can just see them asking, as we would, well, well, what does that mean? If they reveal to some and conceal to others, does that mean that Jesus is purposely making it difficult for some to understand? Because that's what it can seem like. Jesus, why are you making it hard? Are you purposely making it hard? And to this, he speaks of the purpose of a lamp. You don't conceal its light. Rather, you put it on a place that has the most effect to dispel darkness. You can't, maybe you can't see that great. That's, kind of, that's an ancient, what would be an ancient lamp, a very simple but clever mechanism. A clay pot, you'd pour in the oil, has a wick, Wick would burn the oil. It would illuminate the house. Often simple one-room dwellings. So how does this picture apply? You think about Jesus saying, hey, why do you have a lamp? You don't conceal it. You put it on a stand. How does that picture apply to what he's talking about here? How does it apply to the context? This is where I'm asking you. Okay. Any other thoughts? Don't hide. Great. So following, following Christ is not about concealing, hiding, being incognito, we might say. Maybe recognizing that God's heart is not to hide mm. what his purposes are. Yeah. Anyone else? So, kind of to go off of what some of you have said about hiding, not just like a high message of the kingdom from others, um, you know, like we are supposed to shine the light to the world, but also to let Jesus into those dark places in us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 great, great. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think... I think, as, as I said last week, there is something going on in all this that if you just listen with kind of lazily or with a hard heart, it's just another trite little story, another trite little metaphor. Jesus says that you need to peel off the scales, you need to look with spiritual eyes, but at the same time, even when we do that, I don't think you have to be a, um, you know, a certified theologian to be able to see some of the pictures that Jesus is drawing here. Yeah, I mean, Jesus is saying that he didn't come to conceal. I, I, the nature of the kingdom is that it's a kingdom of light. The nature of the kingdom of God is that it shines light. But this is for those who are willing to listen and willing to receive and willing to apply. Jesus is revealing. And we could say Jesus is himself the revelation of the realities of heaven that were once, that were once in the Old Testament, some level, hidden. And, and we see this actually, in a sense we could say the light shines brighter and brighter and it grows and increases in measure. And, and Jesus plays with that idea a little bit too. So even here, Jesus comes as the light. It is shining into the disciples' hearts, but they still only see in part. It's not until the death and then resurrection of Jesus and then the coming of the Holy Spirit that a real spiritual light bulb goes off for these guys and they see even more clearly. The light shines even brighter. It increases in measure. That's the nature of it. And then as the disciples grow, as the church grows and the Spirit enlightens, there's more and more understanding. And then someday, Jesus, there'll be even more understanding, and there'll be even more, we'll see even more clearly and more revealing in the Lord's second coming as we see Jesus return as ruler and king and judge over all the earth. And all the deeds of mankind will be brought out into his blazing light. And Jesus exhorts his hearers again to listen well. It's, it's something that he keeps saying over and over again. Consider carefully what you hear. There are many voices in your life. And I think, again, in our age, in our time, there, there's more voices probably than ever. We constantly have people speaking at us, to us, noise, distraction, opinion. There are many, many voices. So we have to keep saying, what voice will I heed? To those who receive and apply Jesus' words, there will be growth and more enlightenment, and those who don't, there will be loss. It's a fundamental principle of use it or lose it. James says, don't, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he, forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does." Consider carefully what you hear. If I exercise, I will gain muscle tone, 
I will gain endurance. I will gain strength. If I stop, it only takes a few weeks to start losing muscle tone. Anybody been like a jogger and you jog and then you take a couple months off and then all of a sudden you jog and you're like, what have I done? You know, or, or you just realize, or if you're regularly exercising and you injure yourself and you can't for a while and you try and get back into it, it can be gained back. But it only takes a few weeks to start losing muscle tone and strength. It does not stay the same. The same is with your, true with your brain. If you are exercising your brain, if you are stretching your thinking, it will increase in productivity. By and large, if you stop, if you stop reading, if you stop thinking, if you stop pushing yourself to think, if you if you stop learning, your brain will grow dull. It won't stay the same. The same is true in economics. Invest your money wisely and you'll find yourself with more to invest. Ignore your financial responsibilities and you'll find yourself in debt and then deeper in debt and then deeper in debt and then even the little that you had will be what? Taken from you. It'll be repossessed. You just picture the, the tow truck with the car, right? It's, it's a principle that we all know. It's a principle that we all actually live out all the time. And Jesus saying is saying the same holds true. The measure you use, it'll be measured to you. It, with, with how we respond to Jesus Christ and his words and his teaching and his example and his lordship. Either receiving it or rejecting it. You either accept it and put it to work. Donald English states, with a serious, persistent, and perceptive faith. And in that, I gain more understanding of God, more closeness and intimacy with God. Or I reject it and I'm indifferent. And then I only find myself in that indifference, in that rejection, farther from the truth than I was before I even heard it. Jesus is the light of the world. He calls his disciples the light of the world. So I think we need to ask ourselves here, as the Lord's talking about light, he's talking about the nature of the kingdom of the light, the nature that God wants to reveal himself to those who will see and listen and respond. Are we having God's light increase in and through our lives? Is that light shining in us in those corners of our life that need to be revealed, that cobwebs need to be cleaned out, that God needs to challenge? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I should be continually being refined. Is that light shining through me? Am I growing in my knowledge and intimacy with him? And is my life actively bringing his love and his truth into the lives of others? In all grace, in all sensitivity, but that light shining. It's not meant to be concealed. It's not, we're not meant to blend into our surroundings and our culture. Verses 26 through 29 he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. 
The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. It's really interesting. All all three of these simple illustrations that Jesus gives, we, we see that the ways God works in the spiritual are often reflected and displayed in things that we take for granted all around us. That, that God is, even through his creation, it's a broken creation, just like we're a broken creation, but even in his creation, he's showing you what the kingdom of God is like. God said in, in, when he was creating the earth, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with their seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So Jesus says, there's a farmer. It's a shorter story than he told just before. There's a farmer. He scatters seed. Then he goes about his business. Goes about his life. He he eats his breakfast. He eats his lunch. He eats his dinner. He goes to bed. He wakes up. And then all by itself, over time, (laughs) these seeds that he planted under the ground begin to sprout. And they grow. And there's a process of growth. What do you think Jesus is conveying in that simple story about the kingdom of God? If we say, hey, there's a central truth here, what do you think is going on about this farmer and the growing seed? There's always something going on, even if the can everybody hear? I know the wind is blowing. So Jody said, there's always something going on even if the farmer can't see it. One of the other things about seed is not all seed is viable. You know, I mean, today we might have a germination rate of 80 or 90%, but I suspect back in that day, it might have been only 50, 60% of the seed that was actually planted grew. And he said, you know, the kingdom of God is like this, and I think we need to recognize that there's a lot of seed that's planted that never germinates in the kingdom of God. But what does germinate produces a bounty. And it's not up to the farmer to decide which seed is viable or not. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look at that. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, the greatest scientific minds, even of our day, cannot tell you what life is. They can't actually tell you what life is. Now, now they, they, can, they can dissect it. They can tell you the mechanics of it. They can even manipulate it, but they can't tell you what it is. Because life is of God. Right? God said, let there be seed-bearing plants. God breathed His life into the nostrils of Adam, and He became alive. Jesus breathed upon the, the disciples, and there was this, this receiving of the Holy Spirit of God. When conditions are right, and there's good soil, and there's a life that responds to Jesus, I want to listen, I want to yield myself to you, I want to apply what you're teaching, I want you to be Lord of my life. The kingdom of God that's manifested in Jesus by nature grows beyond our power. Now that doesn't mean you don't have any activity to do, but there's something going on that's miraculous. Donald English says, Jesus is drawing attention to the divine provision that meets our limitations. The divine provision that meets our limitations. We could say at very least, oh, I gotta wait a second. We could say at very least, that we can trust that with God, more is going on than meets the eye. More is going on than meets the eye. More is going on in me than even I realize when the Spirit of God is in my life. More is going on amongst us than I realize because God is working in your life more is going on in the people that I'm praying for and then you're praying for than I realize. That's what faith is about. That something is going on beyond my seeing. And I think, I, you know, I had this question down, do you need to hear that? I know I need to hear that. That, that at times God seems quiet, and at times the growth seems painfully slow, and I need to ask myself, can I have the faith that I, that I know that with God there is more going on under the surface than I can see? And that God is slowly but surely bringing life through some things that even we think at the time are going wrong. That God is a producer of growth, and that growth is a process that takes time and takes a lot of patience with many things that are beyond our control. 
right? Farmers, <laughs> many things that are, be- right? Gardeners, right? Things that are beyond our control. Most of the time when we're so stressed out, it's because we're, thinking, we're trying to take control of things that are beyond our control. And, Jesus, and it's as, as if Jesus is saying, with the kingdom of God, we have to trust that there is growth by God's miraculous power, even if in the beginning we don't see it. That God brings a harvest. That harvest is salvation for some, is maturity for the believer unto the likeness of Christ. At the end of the age, uh, the Bible talks about a harvest that God will bring in, a harvest of souls, some to eternal life, some to eternal death, depending on our response to Christ. But Jesus encourages us to look at the world as if it is a place ripe for the harvest. That He is bringing growth, sometimes beyond even what we see, bringing life, planting seeds... And that there is a world that needs him. A world in which God is already working and hearts in which God is already working. He says in Matthew 9, 37, 38, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus says it's his harvest. It's his harvest field. He needs workers. He's the one that miraculously will bring the growth. And that needs to be an encouragement to my own heart. <laughs> Try, I strive, I, I need to cooperate with the Spirit, but God is the one that brings the growth. It needs to be an encouragement to me as I minister to others, as I try and be sensitive to what the Spirit is doing in others' lives, that God is working underneath the surface. And that's what faith is about, that He's the one that brings the growth. And finally, this little story says in verse 30 through 34, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So it really should be striking to us here that Jesus keeps, that Jesus asks this question and that these pictures are a response to this question, what shall I say the kingdom of God is like? So the prophets foretold of a kingdom of, of unquestionable power of, of, that would be over heaven and earth, a kingdom that was eternal, a reign that would never end, a glorious king that would sit on David's throne. And surely the disciples are waiting for this kingdom, this glorious kingdom. And Jesus says, what should I say the kingdom of God is like? Let's talk about a mustard seed. This tiny, tiny seed, a seed that probably was the smallest of the seeds that they would have known of. Why do you think Jesus refers to this seed 
and its growth. What's he conveying? Here's my last question for you, and then we'll wrap up. What's he conveying? That's a mustard seed on the tip of a finger there. That's a big mustard uh, bush there. What's he conveying? Dramatic potential. is much when God is in it. Anyone else? Yeah, uh, the mustard seed, I, I read somewhere that 20,000 seeds uh, would produce one ounce. Like, if you're weighing, it was like 20,000 seeds to one ounce. Um, but within that tiny seed, there's life. And that life, when it hits the good soil, produces, I, who knows how many thousands of times, the life as it grows into this tree or bush. And so much so that it, the birds can one day find a safe haven to rest. And so Jesus' followers should not only not be discouraged by or despised. This is really important. I know, and we're going to be wrapping up. We should not only be discouraged by or despise small beginnings, whether that's personal or corporate, but we should see that with the kingdom of God, small beginnings are the norm. Small beginnings are the norm. They should be expected. I'll say, well, I'm, my faith is so small. My knowledge is so small. My understanding is so small. I'm starting out. I, I feel like a kindergartner. That's the norm. <laughs> we say corporately, well, you know, we're, you know, maybe we're a church of 100 people and we're trying to build this building and there's a community of, of Tioga County, 40,000 strong. And, you know, what, what are we going to do? We're so small. That's the norm. That's the norm with the kingdom of God. We should not be discouraged by or despise small beginnings. They should be expected. But we should also expect that when received in the right soil and by the miraculous life power of God, the kingdom of God will grow. So there's an expectation of small beginnings, but there's also an expectation of growth. It should grow in me personally as I walk with Jesus faithfully. That I would know him better. That I would be becoming more and more like him. Growing in my character. Growing in my love. 
and should grow corporately, so much so that small beginnings within a community of people that trust in Jesus can grow to the point that it brings safe haven to those who need it. But again, this takes time, and it takes patience. We can plant, we can water, we can nurture, but God makes it grow. And even Jesus teaches little by little, as much as they can understand. He doesn't start with advanced calculus. He starts with counting to ten. Let me tell you about a lamp. Let me tell you about a farmer and a seed. Let me tell you about a mustard seed. We have to trust God is working in the process. Each one of these parables, we see that at one point something seems hidden, something seems almost undetectable, but God works under the surface and slowly and patiently brings growth that is sizable, visible, vibrant, useful, and life-giving. And this happens in ways that are going to be completely unexpected and counterintuitive to the world as we know it. God's kingdom isn't advanced by forcefully taking power. It's not advanced through money. It's not advanced through winning in the political arena. It's not advanced through pride and worldly success, but it's advanced rather through meekness, through humility, through peace, through love, through self-sacrifice, and even through what at times appears for all intents and purposes to be failure, to be suffering, to be smallness, to be weakness. David Garland says, this is the last quote, God's purposes will be fulfilled in God's way and God, and God entrusts his secrets of those purposes only to those who are willing to trust him despite unpromising appearances. God's purposes will be fulfilled in God's way, and God entrusts the secrets of those purposes only to those who are willing to trust Him despite unpromising appearances. That's what faith is about that I can trust Him despite unpromising appearances. How does that speak to me? How does it speak to us? Can the kingdom of God grow from Jesus of Nazareth being despised and rejected and eventually nailed to a Roman cross? Can a new community of God grow from a small cowering band of believers that hide away in the three days between Jesus' death and resurrection, cowering in a room, to an untold multitude from every tribe, every language, every nation of every age. Can God still bring miraculous growth from now, from what now seems small and insignificant and sometimes almost undetectable things? The encouragement is not only can he, but it's the nature of what he does. It's the nature of the kingdom of God. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for our time this morning to worship you in song, to worship you in fellowship, to worship you as we listen to your word and we want to be those people that don't just listen, but we receive, we apply the kingdom rule of our lives as we've received the free gift of your grace of salvation through Christ. Lord, may the kingdom be a kingdom in and through us of light. May it be a kingdom that we are patient and that our faith is steady as we trust that you are doing things beyond what meets the eye. You are bringing life. You are bringing growth. And may it be a kingdom in us, Lord, that we're not discouraged by or despise small beginnings. But even as we're patient with small beginnings, we trust that you will bring life that is useful, visible, even so much so that it can bring care to those who need safe haven. We pray that that happens through us individually and corporately, that the kingdom of God would have his way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.